Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. I feel in the past couple of days as though I've been starring in a Kafka-esque short story in trying to simply sell my car in New York State. In order to begin this process, I had to first pay off the auto loan, naturally. So to figure out how to do that in an efficient way took some time. Eventually, I learned from my bank that the payment had to be made across two different days, as the representative on the phone couldn't take the whole amount at once. It was too high for his allowance of what he could record on a given day. So I would need to do part one of it one day and call back the following day to pay off the balance. Next, I spent about two hours on hold with the New York DMV. They finally answered, and a very harried woman informed me that the lien on the car would show up as paid, but the DMV would not get the title to me for a month or two unless I did the transaction online. The state of New York, not the bank where the loan is, holds title to the car, different than other states. I then went online, and after much investigation and reading blogs, I discovered that since I had moved from my New York address and had placed a permanent forward on that address, I would not be receiving the title to my car if it was mailed to that address, since the post office will not forward letters or documents that originate from the DMV. They get to pick and choose, I guess, or they're forced to uh, when it seems to be a government-issued letter. I then looked into changing my address with the DMV, but because I no longer hold a New York driver's license, in fact, I never have had one, I was not able to sign up to change the address. I was also not able to get my New York license since I don't live there anymore and I don't have an address. At this point, I have no idea how I will manage to obtain the title to the car Since the title will be mailed to a former address, the post office will not forward that title from that address to me, and I cannot change the address to have the title sent sent elsewhere. I also cannot simply go into a DMV in New York and get the title, as they no longer do that. They will only mail to an address on record, and uh, I have no idea at this point how I will be able to sell my car? How will I I be able to get my car title? Uh, So I'll be spending many more hours trying to work this out. Now I tell this long sad tale because I know each of you listening, especially if you live in America, which is so litigious and does not allow the simplest of things such as forwarding all of one's mail or letting uh, a person obtain their rightful record from the office where the records are generated. But even if you don't live in America, I know that everyone listening has gone through similar experiences with the bureaucratic complications that have come with modern life. And that is why I am recommending simplicity in all things. For instance, this entire ordeal with my car would have been simpler had I not had a loan for the car. I would have had a free and clear title from the start. Better yet, not owning a car would have been even simpler. In this and a hundred other ways, I am reminded of how much I want to withdraw from the brisk lockstep of modern life 
and how much I want to not have financial ruminations take up one minute of my awareness. I am determined to live out my days entirely within my means, not having one dollar of debt. If I cannot pay for something outright, I don't want it, perhaps with the exception of water. We are experiencing the increased speed and complication in every corner of our lives. There's a merciless quality to the way working people's lives are ground down on phone menus of multiple options that lead to more menus, that lead to more recordings, often none of them applying to what we're calling about and giving us no option to speak to a human being. When we finally do speak to an actual person, the situation may continue in frustration as we discover that the person on the other end of the line knows nothing about the problem we're dealing with and refers us on to some other phone number where the whole process starts again. The only people who are free of this round robin of useless calls and hours of wasted time are the very wealthy who have personal assistants handle all manner of tedious chores such as these, uh, or, or the other people who are more or less free from it are the very poor, who have so little that there's not much demand to engage with the corporate or governmental world. But, of course, even they have to do it some. People who may be having a stressful day of work or taking care of others or have their own health issues or relationship problems or any number of life struggles, must then come home in a weary state and struggle with frustrating, faceless bureaucracies. The only other option is to simplify as much as possible. If one lives in the middle somewhere, neither very rich or very poor, simplicity is the only way to limit this crazy drain of life. It is unlikely that the complications will be eliminated entirely, but they can at least be minimized if one chooses to reduce everything that is extraneous. One of the most vivid years of my life was the year of 1976 to 1977. I was living in India at the time, uh, and you know, at that, that time, my own life and the world in general was utterly simple, especially in India, which was still the old world and much, much slower than it is today. For some of that time in Asia, I was living with a group of friends in the town known as Bodhgaya, the place where the Buddha was said to have been enlightened under the Bodhi tree there. And it was merely a small village then and consisted of a few chai shops and Buddhist temples of different traditions, Burmese, Japanese, Tibetan, Thai, and a few others, all near the main temple known as the Mahabodhi. It was uh, a temple, a fabulous ancient temple uh, built by the Emperor Ashoka in uh, 300 AD around the area where the tree, the famous tree under which the Buddha sat, was allegedly growing. It was a quiet, this village was a quiet place in those days, with a million stars at night and temple bells throughout the day. My friends and I spent our time either meditating or hanging out at the chai shops or circumambulating the Mahabodhi or 
figuring out which was the best place to buy vegetables or which was the best route to Calcutta or accomplishing small tasks, uh, even mailing a letter in those days, which we wrote on these blue aerograms, these little small um, folding paper, and the space on it was necessarily limited. Even this small task could qualify as a day's work. (laughs) It was blissful, and it has lived in a disproportionate way in my memory ever since. It's not that it was filled with excitement that uh, has made it flare in my memory. It was that it was filled with peace and a feeling of connection to the friends with whom I was traveling and filled with meaning. And so the days were elongated. There was a gentle rhythm to life and to being in community in such a place. I felt a natural belonging and a contentment that was not born of having things, not at all, since we were doing without most of our usual comforts. Uh, I remember once reading a funny compendium called, You Know You've Been in India Too Long When. So one of the things on that list was, You Know You've Been in India Too Long When You Discover a Single Square of Toilet Paper in Your Backpack and Feel Rich. So anyone who's spent a lot of time there will laugh knowingly at this. No, it was not in having things or lots of exciting adventures that one felt rich in such a circumstance. We create a similar situation in our retreats, although they tend to be much more luxurious. But there's nothing much to grab onto, and instead there's a lot of letting go. You know, letting go of the urge to rush into the next moment or to procure some new shiny bauble of stuff or to find some way to promote oneself or to fixate on any imagined future happiness whatsoever. I find it an ever-fresh delight to see how happy people become in simple and quiet circumstances, how with little input in the way of guidance people are ready to be at ease. It's an open secret at this point, the power and deep happiness that comes from unplugging from the buzz and stress of modern life, not to mention the buzz and stress of one's own mind. Some people are afraid of that kind of quiet. They've only known the buzz, and they equate that buzz with being alive. But what if the buzz is a dim, dull, and perhaps painful version of being alive? What if the simple and quiet life, the life of reflection and living awake in the senses, is actually the most enlivened form of life that can be had, as all the great ones of all time have told us? People with whom I have shared multiple retreats over many, many years have sometimes told me that they expect that at the end of their lives, What they're going to remember most clearly were their their days at these retreats. I've been offering this message in different ways across many years of time, and I want to say it from ever deeper places within myself. Simplify your life in any way you can, and know that you're not missing anything in so doing. You are actually making space for what is real and what is true. You're choosing life itself. 
This has been In the Deep. To support these podcasts, you can subscribe to this channel on iTunes or post a review there. If you'd like to know more about my work, book a private session, or make a tax-deductible donation for the ongoing production of the podcasts, please visit katherineingram.com. Till next time.